Great. Wow. What a voice. <laughs> um, last week we looked at here at church the wedding banquet. And we looked at our vision as a church. And today we look at the next few verses in Matthew's gospel. And today we're actually starting a brand new series, uh, a brand new series on authority. How do we submit to God's authority and how God is the author of authority? And today we're particularly looking at authority to give, one of our favorite topics, giving. And in a way, it's simple. It's simple because God Jesus, it's simple because there's a way for us to respond, and it's simple because there are lots of ways for us to respond. And so the way I want us to look through this passage together today is there's three central things in this passage. You may want to take a note of these, but the first one is that there's a trap. There's very simply a trap. Secondly, there's some teaching. And thirdly, there's a takeaway for, for you and for I to take away from this message today. So let's look firstly at the trap. Why do the Pharisees want to trap Jesus? Well, they're not happy with him. He's drawing a huge crowd of people around him. People are amazed at his teaching. And there are rumors going around the place that Jesus actually is the Messiah, the one they have been waiting for. So the Pharisees need to trap Jesus, trip him up somehow, so that people stop following him. So they come up with this plan. They send some of their disciples uh, with some Herodians to ask Jesus a question. And here is the interesting thing about this scenario. The Pharisees and the Herodians absolutely hated each other. They couldn't stand one another. There were sworn political enemies, and yet here they are united in their hatred for Jesus. The Pharisees were a religious group who were opposed to the Roman occupation of Palestine. The Herodians were a political party, supported the Jewish king, Herod, and the policies instituted by Rome. It seems to be the case that ultimately either you are for Jesus or you are against him. And look, take a look in the passage. You can see the hatred and the irony dripping off their words as they say to Jesus in verse 16, Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, to be quite honest, they really don't think that Jesus is telling the truth. Jesus has been going around saying things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course they don't believe that. So what they are doing in this moment is they are giving Jesus false flattery. 
And this is a challenge for you and I today. The challenge is that it's simply not good enough for us to be saying nice things about Jesus. We need to actually believe this in our hearts. So the trap they come up with in verse 17 is this. They say, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? And they ask this question because this was the political debate of the time. It was, if you like, their version of Brexit. If question time on a Thursday night existed uh, in Jesus' day, this would have been the question that appeared week after week. Now, a little bit of context. Since 60 BC, Palestine, Israel, had been firmly under Roman occupation. The Romans had allowed Jewish people to keep uh, the Herodian kings on the throne, a nod, if you like, of some form of independence from Rome. But really, the Herod kings were Roman puppets in the eyes of many. Now, at the turn of the century, around the time Jesus uh, was born, the Roman Empire brought in governors, such as Pilate. When this happened, they required that every Jewish adult pay tax to Rome, to Caesar. The tax was a denarius a year, which was the equivalent of a day's wage. And the Jews hated this because it was a sign that they were under Roman occupation, Rome's authority. They hated giving tax to Caesar because the motto of the Roman Empire was Caesar is Lord. Now, for the Jewish person, this was simply awful because they believed in one Lord. But the Romans worshipped Caesar as Lord. Do you see the situation? And so unwillingly, they paid the tax. But they made a deal with Rome that they would pay the tax, uh, that the, Jewish, uh, the Jews would pay their tax, but they would have a special coin to pay with. It would be minted especially with Rome's approval, and it would be copper and not sil silver. And instead of the motto, Caesar is Lord, with Caesar's picture on it, the Jewish copper version didn't have that. So if you like... This was the Brexit deal. And behind this question of what the Pharisees and Herodians asked Jesus, behind that question is this question. Which God shall I give to? Which God shall I give to? So when the Pharisees asked this question in verse 17, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? What they're doing is they're putting Jesus in this lose-lose situation. Because if he says, pay the tax, the Jewish people will turn on him as they hate paying this tax. The Pharisees also would have claimed that in doing so, Jesus was opposed to God, the only king that they recognized. So how could he be the Messiah? But if Jesus says, don't pay the tax, what he would be doing is committing a political crime. 
He would have been charged with rebellion, and Rome would have been onto him hard. But Jesus, being Jesus, sees right through. He sees that this is a trap. Jesus knows their evil intent to entangle him. And what does he do? He calls them hypocrites. He says, why are you trying to entrap me? You see, they thought they'd got him in this moment. But no, they hadn't. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 19, he says, show me the coin. Now everyone, everyone around at this time watching this unfold would have expected the religious leaders to produce a a, a copper denarius, the one that was specially minted for the Jewish people that had no picture of Caesar on it, no inscription saying Caesar is Lord. But when they produce this coin, they have a silver denarius, the coin that the rest of the Roman Empire used. This coin had Caesar's face on it. They said Caesar is Lord. You can imagine the crowd would have been shocked. Remember this situation, this whole story is taking place in the context of the temple, the holy ground, and the Torah, the most important part of the Hebrew Bible, forbids graven, idolatrous images. This was a shocking moment. These Pharisees say that they're against idolatry. They can't stand it. No truly observant Jew would have carried this coin. Yes, of course, it would have been a little inconvenient for them to do so. Like it's inconvenient for us when the, uh, our, the card machines don't accept uh, tap and go. But what it would have allowed the Jews to do is to express their allegiance to God and not to Caesar. Verse 20, Jesus asks them, whose face is on the coin? And in verse 21, they say, Caesar's. Jesus has got them stumped. This is why he calls them hypocrites. You see, the Pharisees were not motivated by their love for God's laws nor were the Herodians motivated by the love for Roman justice. They simply wanted to trap Jesus. But Jesus is quite simply genius. Because in responding, he reveals their true motives by making known their hypocrisy. And here comes the second part. We've seen the trap, but here's the teaching. Verse 21. Then he said to them, to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that we should submit to ruling authorities. Isn't this a challenge for us, a piece of scripture for such a time as this, that we should submit to our authorities? You see, everything belongs to God. And in saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, 
This is what he is saying, that everything belongs to God. It's all his, because he is Lord over the Roman Empire. He is Lord over Caesar. He is the Lord of all. So give to Caesar, but give to God, because everything is God's. You see, for you and I, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we have dual citizenship. We have citizenship here in this nation, a nation that requires us to pay for the benefits of living here, and we call that a tax. But our true citizenship as followers of Jesus is in the kingdom of heaven, and that requires us to pledge far more than a tax. It requires total obedience and commitment to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. You see, we have a choice to make. Will we, will we give everything as though we give it to God, remembering that all things come from him? You see, coins, yes, they bear, they bear Caesar's image, and they may belong to Caesar, but all things, coins, Caesar, Rome, the planet, the universe, all of those things come from the mind of God and are under God's dominion. You see, Caesar's realm is a mere speck of sand within God's realm. The days of Caesar's realm are numbered. They're limited. They won't last forever. But God, his realm, is eternal. And our view of life each and every day must be set in the context of eternity. A.W. Tozer said this, any temporal possession, any worldly possession, can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. I love that. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Verse 22, the Pharisees simply had no response. They were amazed though. They thought that they set out with this trap for Jesus that he couldn't get out of. But instead, he encouraged them to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Everything is God's. So we've seen a trap. We've seen the teaching. Now what's the takeaway here? 
What can we take away from this passage, each and every one of us today? Where does it leave us? Well, the first thing I want us to note as part of this takeaway package is this, that you can't trap Jesus. You see, the Pharisees were looking for a way out of giving, either in paying their taxes or in giving their money to God. Now, we try, don't we? We try and trap Jesus all the time. We only have to think about our giving. How many times do we think, God, shall I give to the poor or shall I give to the church? I do that. We pose it, don't we, as a dilemma. Why is it a dilemma? More often than not, it's just a way of us delaying and we're giving and not giving to God everything that already belongs to him. Do you see where this is going? C.S. Lewis said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Strong. But you see, when we try and trap Jesus, as the Pharisees did, what we actually do is put ourselves in the place of God, where we think, I can choose, and I can make the rules. So let me ask each and every one of you, myself included, how do we trap Jesus? How do we do that? How do we get out of giving? How do we get out of not sinning? Because we do it all the time. And we say things like, it doesn't matter as long as I don't hurt anybody else. But you see, the problem is, in trapping Jesus, all we do is we end up trapping ourselves. Because his way leads to life and freedom and peace and all of the good things we long for. Only his way. And you see a religious spirit, when we walk life with a religious spirit, it always tries to trap God. How? Well, religion says that if you do a certain thing, then you will have a better chance of getting into heaven. Now, if that is true, yours and mine actions, what we're saying is we have sway over God. We have influence over him. And therefore, he's forced to respond to our works. But of course, we don't believe that. We believe in grace. We were trapped. Jesus set us free. 
and we could not earn it. You see, in this story, the Pharisees are the ones who are trapped. They're trapped by religion, trapped by power. They're trapped in their own sin. And we are the same unless Jesus sets us free. Secondly here, Jesus reveals hypocrisy. Now the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word where we get the English word actor. And hypocrites were people that went around wearing masks and uh, in a play and every time they changed character they would change their mask. And Jesus is accusing here, he's accusing the leaders of being hypocrites, of wearing different masks. And they were. They were hypocrites. They hated idolatry. And yet they carried around in their pockets this idolatrous coin. Now in what ways, let's examine ourselves now, in what ways do we proclaim that Jesus is Lord with our mouths, but then we behave and act in a very different way? I.e., we say on Sunday that Jesus is Lord, but then we don't trust him with our finances, for example, Monday to Saturday. If Jesus is Lord, then he is Lord of your bank account too. So here's the challenge. For you and for I, what are the silver coins that we are carrying around in our pockets when we should be carrying copper coins? Who and what are we worshipping before God? For some of us, it, it could be our phones, social media. It could be money itself. It could be career. It could be success and ambition that we have. It could be a reputation that we long to maintain. It could be our beauty, our appearance, how we appear to the world. What is it for you? You see, when we place more of an emphasis on these things in our lives, what we effectively do is perform a sacrifice because we neglect our friends, our family, our community, our church, the world, in order to achieve this so-called higher place for ourselves in the eyes of the world. No, this is not who we are as followers of Jesus. This is simply not who we are. I remember the great economic meltdown of 2008 and this highlighted our obsession with greed. And some say we're on the verge of the greatest economic collapse since records began here and now. And what do we do in these situations? We either go into fright or flight mode. And often this reveals our addiction for choosing to live in a culture of greed. Paul says 
in Colossians 3, verse 5, he says, greed is idolatry. Now, who and what are we worshipping before God? Because, to put it quite plainly, if anything is more important to you and to me than God in our lives, then this must be addressed today. It must be addressed today. If we consider anything else in our lives more important than God. And this leads us on to the final point that Jesus wants us to behave in a way as though everything, everything belongs to him. Yes, we give to Caesar. We submit to government. But we do that because God has put them there. Paul says in Romans 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You see, it's part of our worship to give to God by giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. We're to give God everything. How do we do this? How do we do this with our finances, our possessions, our time? A little challenge for each and every one of us this week is how can we be more generous this week? Can you simply raise your giving financially to God? Could you start giving maybe for the first time? C.S. Lewis also says this, the only things we can keep are the things we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves is just what we are sure to lose. Pretty matter of fact. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm often challenged myself. You know, when I have something at home that I no longer want, in fact, I did it today. You see this nice little plant stand here? I needed a little table for my Bible today. But I'm looking at getting rid of this in my house. And so what did I do today? I thought, oh, I'll give it to the church, kind of. But we do it all the time, don't we? With our possessions. I don't want this. So who might want it? The challenge is, are we giving away our best or second best? I'm constantly challenged by that. I love springtime every year, and I try to make elderflower cordial. I absolutely love it. Some would say I'm slightly addicted to the process of making it more than I am actually drinking it. And so in my fridge, it went through May, June, July, August, and I still had liters of elderflower cordial in our fridge. I just have a bit of a thing. I go a bit overboard with these kind of things. 
And Rach started a new job in September, and she took a bottle of my elderflower cordial that I'd slaved over, that I'd you know, spent hours in the kitchen making. I was looking forward to, probably in a decade's time, of getting uh, to it. She took it to work without me knowing, and I noticed it disappeared in the fridge. And I said, where's my elderflower gone? And she said, I've taken it to work. And honestly, my reaction was not human. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that she'd taken my elderflower that I'd slaved over to share it with some other people. Shocker. Absolute shocker. And Rach rightly reminded me. She said, you know what? It wasn't yours anyway. It was all God's. He created the elderflower, the water, the sugar, citric acid, whatever else goes in it. God created it. It wasn't mine to give. It was God's. It belonged to him. Now, why can we be generous? Why can we be generous? Because God has been generous to us all. We can do this because God has given us everything. He has quite literally given you and me everything in the person of Jesus Christ. 